right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Delta Flyers. And this week's special guest is none other than Mike McMahon. He's the showrunner for the animated version of the franchise show that we all know about, the whole reason why the Delta Flyers exists. And so thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Welcome. you for having me. I'm excited. That's I can't very believe excited. Delta Flyers. I uh, know. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You've made it. You've finally made you it made to it. the top. Mike. You guys made it back from the del- uh, from uh, things I can't talk about. Right. I made it out of the podcast. This is exciting. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So we kind of want to talk about your formative years. And to be perfectly honest, Wikipedia has the smallest little section about your before. And all it says is McMahon, a native of Chicago, first worked in production as an assistant at Second City. From there, he was hired by Scott Rudin Productions as a production assistant. That's it. So can you take it? Were you born in Chicago? Are you always a Midwest yeah. guy? Okay. I was born in Chicago. Highland um, Park? Like where? Where in the downtown Chicago? area? Uh, downtown. I actually grew up on Astor Division, which is just like two blocks away from the lake. Um, wow. And wow. So when you see like a skyline shot of Chicago, that's where I live, you know? Oh like my right God. Little city you, kid. And you went to private school, public school? Mostly a private school called the Latin School of Chicago. Um, yeah. And then I went to Kenyon College in Ohio. Oh, wow. Great school. What was your major in Kenyon College? Drama. I tried to be an English major, but I'm not a good enough writer. And those guys, I guess, end up writing a uh, theater. So that's where I went and loved it. Well, it was a much Ken- better fit for me. To talk about Kenyon for a second, Kenyon is like world renowned for liberal arts and particularly like literature and philosophy and social yeah. thought. And, you know, it's it's a really amazing small school, mm. but incredible. Super small. Yeah, yeah, super small school. That's amazing. What drew you, like, just because we're talking about creativity and kind of what inspires yeah. us, like, how did you end up choosing? And that's very competitive, by the way. The fact that you got into yes. Kenyon, it's not easy. I'd written a play in high school. I had a great drama teacher who, you know, saw that I was writing at home. Like, I was one of those kids who didn't do great at the at writing essays in English class, but I was going home and writing creative stuff on my own all the time. Mm-hmm. Not great stuff, but I was driven to like, to, to figure it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so mm-hmm. I had a, I had a drama teacher, um, Anne Hardigan, who, uh, who, when I was a senior was like, why don't you write a play? I'll help you. I'll help you learn the format of it. And it was the first thing I'd ever, a play I'd ever written. And then the senior, directing class somebody will direct it and the senior acting class will will perform in it and it it was the first time we had done that and i think they either did it for years after or might still be doing it but like it really was the most amazing crash course in collaboration across all of these different all of these different parts of the medium you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. actually knowing the actors and like the, the the play being created and not just picked from from you know, a, a, a bookshelf, like yeah. it was, and adapted, like it was really interesting. And going into college, like, I still thought I wanted to write, I find this with a lot of writers and it's been true for me too, that like, I was like, Oh, I'm going to write, I'm going to write books, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, but then I was like, but I love writing, like writing books is hard and I want to do it, but it's very easy for me. And I love writing sketch comedy and plays. Yeah. And then as you're growing up, you're like, Hey, stupid. Like, <laughs> If that's what you love to do, because people get in your head and they tell you what you're supposed to want. And then slowly over time, you're like, 
what about that thing you like? What if you could do that? Like, why not do that? You know? And that's, yeah. that's what I learned um, in theater at Kenyon college. And right. uh, theater is amazing. there. like in a beautiful theater. Uh, Paul Newman went there and, and oh. you know, a lot of his legacy mm-hmm. was, was helping them get set up. And um, Allison Janney went there. I I've gotten to hang with her a little bit in town. Uh, you're talking about Paul Newman and immediately, you know how he has all those food items, the Paul oh, yeah. Newman, uh, uh, you know, uh, spaghetti yeah. sauce. And yeah, it's always that's... says all these proceeds go to charity. I go, what if the charity is just Canyon college? Maybe that's where all the proceeds <laughs> yeah. go to. They wish. They, yeah, wish. they wish. They wish. Exactly. Right. Okay. Continue what you were saying about Canyon. Go ahead. So it's, and it's Kenyon, K-E-N-Y-O-N. Kenyon, excuse me. Kenyon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's like 2000 kids all grades combined like it's really small for, yeah. for very progressive very unconventional yeah. school it reminds yeah. me a lot of bennington so the education i got there was great because you know you're not siloed into one part like i was taking humanities classes and anthropology classes and oh, good. You know, all of these all, all of these different science classes and like like i was really building kind of a general like general knowledge of all these things that even though they weren't my focus, like mm-hmm. I'm really glad that, that I had that. And it yeah. wasn't just sort of sitting and finding my voice because like, as a writer, I've been finding my voice ever since you can do that for the rest of your life. But like right. when you're in college or in high school, like utilizing, even if you want to be funny or if you want to write or you want to tell stories, the more your experience and the more educated you are, like the more of that stuff that you can add to yourself, the more interesting your voice is when you're writing anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. So like the more jobs you can do, the more people you meet, the more places you go. I had a lot of great opportunities and I luckily wasn't stupid enough to squander them at that time. Cause I look back and I'm like, I could have been high and drunk and just playing video games, which I did as well. You know what I mean? (laughs) But But like, I think that, you know, the structure of Kenyon really expanded me into classes that I wouldn't have thought of taking and and that I really like have really stuck with me. Yeah. Can I go back a little bit? I know we're, we're talking Kenyon right now. Can I go back a little bit? That high school teacher, when she told you, I think you should write a play, you were a junior, sophomore, freshman? I was a senior at that You were a senior had, also. Okay. But I had been like working with her on a bunch of, right. like I had been acting for a really long time in high school and yeah. I didn't know... In, it's very rare to find any non any writing opportunities in high school yeah. for stage or screen. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's not a lot of people that want to learn it. And it's not a lot of people who know how to teach it. Exactly. You know? um, especially in Chicago. Like there's some schools I'm sure have mm-hmm. like, you probably go to Harvard Westlake here, probably has the most amazing. Uh, oh, right. Te- yeah. Teacher, you yeah know it's what like mean? Broadway. Broadway. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> but like, you know, it, it was a weird that like the first thing you get told in drama class in Chicago is this is a thing to understand yourself and these characters and to enjoy doing more, but don't think this is going to be a career. Really? You're very much warned. You're like, yeah, this is a part of, this is a part of your education, Yeah, but we, we really have to warn you that like, it is very unlikely that you can make a career out of this. So like, don't be doing it for the wrong reasons, you know? Okay. It's funny that you say that, Mike, because my mentor in high school, her name was Linda Wise. She was so inspiring to me, an amazing uh, drama teacher. She taught at a state level. She taught in high school. She, She taught the summer governor's honors program. She she directed incredible productions and was inspired so many people, but same thing. She would tell everybody like, 
this is not a career. Mm. This is yeah. a life. This is a life enhancing, life enriching, yeah. you know, exploration that's going to benefit your real career. But this, this is not a career. And I remember having a conversation with her where she she said, "There's only been a few people." She said to me, "I remember." There's only been a few people that I've taught and she taught Holly Hunter. She's taught wow. a lot of very people that went on to succeed and do very well. She said, you know, there's not a lot of people that I think could succeed at this. I think you could, but I still recommend you not pursue this as a career. She said, only if there's absolutely nothing else that yeah. you could ever be happy at. If this is the only thing you could ever be happy doing, yeah. Then give it a try. Yeah. She was really cautious. It sounds like kind of like, you know, your Kenyan teachers. We've all experienced how brutal this stuff can be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. like, there really has to be, you do have to find happiness in it, even in the failures of it, you know, yeah. like, and I think that, I think that it's really smart to tell, cause you can get completely obsessed with it. Like I, you know, it's smart to tell kids and, and give them a real expectation of it because mm -hmm. like you haven't learned to not be optimistic yet when you're a kid, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. but this is one of those industries where like it is, it is really hard unless you're ready for a really long time of not getting to be able to do what you want to do. Yeah. Like you have to put in an inordinate amount of it. And you also, there is a luck factor to it where you have to hope that the thing you want to do and the chances that you want to take and the people that have, have you've built trust with that when the, when the opportunity arises that, that you can strike it. And it's like, you can't control that, right. yeah. you know? And as a teacher, it's like, there's a lot of things in life that you can control that can bring joy. Like why subject yourself? Like you guys, you know, you're talking to Mike McMahon as a teacher. I'm not going to be on screen. You know what I mean? Like, look at that Wikipedia of me. I look like a, a thumb that wished it was a real boy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's my place in the industry. My place in the industry was going to be making people laugh behind the scenes. And like another thing I learned at Kenyon in just doing um, sketch comedy was like, <laughs> gosh, I love putting together a show. Like I love writing it, but I also love casting it and directing it and finding everybody in the nitty gritty of it. And even down to like, it's all the producer stuff. We all end up learning that like, we all have to wear these different hats. And it's yeah. like, now I'm in this part of my career where I do 10% writing and 90% producing, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's something you don't, you can't teach that because it changes every year. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. you know, when I first moved to LA, it was like, go to the back of variety to see what productions are going to be starting. And I can't right. give that advice and advice anymore, you know? And so as things change, I think the most important thing you can learn early on, no matter what is, are you making something that's cool and that you like, and then other people will like it? Like, are you making something that do you believe in these characters? Is this worth doing to yourself? You know, cause Kenyon was yeah. great, but it had no TV or film department right. when I was there, you know, all this stuff, like you can learn that stuff over time through trial and error and through trying. And the hard thing to learn is your own taste, what you like to write, like why you do it, like, you know, mm -hmm. what makes it mm -hmm. worth it. And then that leads to producing too. Like every conversation I have, they'll be like, what's the right thing to do here? And I'm like, I don't know, but this is the thing that makes the show the best. So let's see if we can do that. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And then, mm -hmm. and then you go from there. So yeah, I, uh, I'm really glad that I got that kind of warning at the very beginning too. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's it also, okay when I couldn't get there fast enough. 
Yeah. It's also interesting, like in, in my life, having seen, having done work as an actor, as a director, as a producer, as a writer, to see the differences of those jobs. Like yeah. as an actor, I remember someone saying to me early in my career, they said, you know what is the worst part of being an actor is your credits don't really accrue. You have to mm. go back every time and yeah. win the job, almost like you've done nothing. The credits yeah. don't really add up, maybe for some super famous celebrities who are super rare like uh, that's that's like a dot off of the the yeah. yeah 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 so the acting i feel like and i felt like this when we finished our sci-fi show 25 30 years ago yeah garrett is that i felt like oh wow i'm starting over again like mm -hmm. this has been a fun seven years but now i'm back yeah. to sitting in the waiting room with all the other guys that i recognize all their faces and they're doing the same thing it's the well, same that's I yeah. tell young writers when they're going into pitch, you're pitching yourself, right? Yeah. Like nobody's ever bought a pitch because, wow, that guy had it all figured out. Right. They buy it because they're like, wow, that made me feel good. That made me laugh. I want to see what working with this person, mm -hmm. where that goes. Yeah. And with writing, you can build up that credibility. Yes, you can. Like, I was going to say, it's a little yeah. different for writers Super different. and a little different for directors too. Yeah. And producers. But yeah. the acting thing is a weird on its own yeah. in my experience. Was anyone in your family, Mike, in the industry, your mother, father, any uncles, nobody did anything in Hollywood or anything like that? Okay. So my, uh, my grandfather ahead. was an, uh, an American Airlines mechanic in Boston. Wow. Uh, my mom was a... Uh, um, a history teacher in Glen Ellen, Illinois. My dad was a um, industrial litigator and constitutional specialist uh, and a partner at a law firm in downtown Chicago. But now my sister, my kid's sister works in costuming and we're both out here. I oh love it. Like, wow. Like growing up, like I think we may have gotten some of my dad's smarts and a lot of my mom's deviousness. You know what ah, I mean? <laughs> and, uh, nice combination there. Yeah. And like we both, like our whole family loved watching stuff together. You know, that really brought yeah. us all together. And I think, I think that drew us to wanting to make the stuff that we all love. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, mm -hmm. yeah. that was the bridge for that. And then yeah. I think like, you know, being a nerdier guy, all of my nerdy pals, like, back in like the 90s and the 80s like finding the buried treasure of like a vhs of the thing you know back when it was <laughs> harder to find stuff a little bit yes. and like having these like oh i want to do i want to make something like that that somebody finds you know right. like, i don't think any of us get into this to make something that has mass appeal it's like something that makes 15 people you like love it and yeah. then oh you accidentally made something that a lot of people like you know what i mean yeah yeah it's funny when you mentioned, you know, uh, Blockbuster or looking at videos and stuff, uh, sidebar, but I just saw some guy had taken his basement and recreated a Blockbuster. I saw that. Did you see yes. it? Yeah. I, like, I haven't been there. Geez. but Oh, yeah. genius. I yeah. know, but you know, let's go one step further to the pre-Blockbuster, the places that like oh, yeah. alcohol and rent a couple, you know, movies. <laughs> love That's those where places. you found the best where you're the, like you're a little kid and you're like if i see the cover of that one movie i'm having a nightmare the one where <laughs> coming out of the toilet you know what i'm talking about oh yeah uh, um it's not oh chug, my God. Or ghoulies. uh 
but yeah, that feeling of like discovery, like now, now everything is available for the most part, like everywhere, but all of us making stuff, we still want to make the thing where you're like, Ooh, this yeah. is weird. This feels like it's for me. Like, this is cool. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So what, what, uh, when did the acting bug hit you like middle school, grade school? Like what was the first play that you did? Oh, yeah. uh, I was a middle schooler that was brought in to the upper school production of once upon a mattress as kid who carries mattress and <laughs> off stage, I was the right height for older kids carrying a mattress to bean me right in the face with a mattress by not seeing me because I was shorter. And I remember just getting like almost blacking out being bean so hard at a mattress being rushed off stage that I was like, <laughs> I really like this. This is the thing. For <laughs> this me. is I, great. This is, this is happening in a school. Like, I love this. Like, um, and then I, uh, I'm a big ham bone. Like I, we would do uh, school assemblies. And if you had something you needed to announce about like, you know, Hey, you know, we're doing like a, a, um, a charity event or like, Oh, we're doing like a fire drill this week or whatever. Like students could line up and like address the whole school at assembly. And I would get up there with nothing to say and just get up and be like, Hey, everybody, I just wanted to say, I think we're going to have a great week. And, and like, this is me talking to like the entire student body and the teachers are like all tensing up being like, is he gonna say but like i just <laughs> liked being in front of a big crowd of people and i never got in trouble for it which in hindsight is probably a bad thing did you ever think about doing stand-up i tried stand-up once it's gotta be you've gotta be like a poet you know what i mean uh, like, yeah it's hard it's the it's hardest hard. it's terrifying tried. to me i can't imagine doing it you have it to have sounds... such ego armor too like you have to yeah. have like you have to have so somehow no ego and the highest ego simultaneously. But yeah, I tried it once and like just truly was like, wow, that was a good thing to try once. Because now I know for sure if I ever do that again, it's because I'm in hell and, I'll, right. and, and I'm dead. Um, <laughs> but then uh, I actually I used to want to do on screen stuff. And when I moved to L.A., I found out really fast that I couldn't do things that I had to depend on other people mm. at first, at first. Cause like you move out here from Chicago or Ohio and you're like, Whoa, all of the funny weirdos are out here. All of the people that want to be out here. This is awesome. Finally, nobody's going to be weirded out that you're like, I want to make this stupid thing, you yeah, know? Yeah. But then starting to make stupid stuff, I realized like, a lot of people have different definitions of what they want to do or they're not available or, yeah. Suddenly you're waiting on somebody to edit something for a month and a half. And like, they just never get around to it. Yeah. And I realized like the only thing I have control over is what's on a page, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just stopped making, it's the opposite of what I tell kids to do now, because like we didn't have iPhones or YouTube when I first moved out here by a couple of years, I missed it by like one or two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now I tell people produce stuff all the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. like even if it's rough, if your spirits in it, people are going to see it. But like, yeah. I didn't have access to those kind of tools. So I just fully drilled into the page because that's what I had control over. And right. I'm really glad I did because it meant every day I was going home and writing the stupidest shit and slowly it became <laughs> not the stupidest shit. Got it. <laughs> like, slowly no, it became I, the shit is what it, it was. It was still on the shit spectrum, <laughs> but it wasn't at the bottom of it anymore. <laughs> When you said, okay, I'm not going to depend on people. I'm going to focus on this writing. Did you have a routine? Like how much would you write every day? I would at least write an hour every day when I came home. And I still oh. have, uh, my rule was, I, there was one day where like, I, I used to be like, and I think a lot of people make this problem or make this problem for themselves is 
It used to be like, all right, what's on the market? What do people like? I got to make something that's that proves I can do this. Mm-hmm. And that was a big mistake because if you're reading stuff that's been produced, it's gone through a hundred drafts. It's gone through an edit. It's been like the thing you're reading isn't what was read that made somebody go, oh, we should pay this guy to make this. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I was smart enough in my like twenties to put that together. And I, I was an assistant at a 20th television that makes in the animation department. I asked one of the assistants in comedy development, not animation. I said, Hey, can I, do you have any scripts that made you want to meet with people, but then never got made and weren't fixed up? Like we're mm. just uh, the first thing you got. And he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he gave me 12 scripts and I went home and I started reading through these, these totally full of spelling errors, like raw pieces of work that had been submitted, but had never gone through a copy edit, never had had assistant or like a, or a script supervisor Right. like fixed it up, hadn't been filmed. Um, and three scripts in, I stopped and was like, literally sat back in my chair and said, holy shit, I've been doing this wrong. Hmm. These are all short, really funny, character-driven, and a total mess. All the work I'd been putting into to making it right was a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started changing. I was like, you know what? If if it has to be effortless, and if my problem is I'm, you can see my effort on the page, then I needed to create a system of coming home and I would start a new pilot every day. And I would just wow. see how far I could get into it. And it resulted in a folder of hundreds of bad, unfinished ideas, but also a couple finished, effortless feeling, funny and fun things that I otherwise never would have would have come across. Yeah, I've been trying great. too hard. Mm-hmm. And I still do this thing where, you know how LA gets snarled by traffic during the marathon? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I used to live right in the middle of that. And my girlfriend at the time, now wife, would be like, well, we're not going out today because <laughs> we just sit in the car. You know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. And I decided that on marathon days, this is going to tell you something about my health, gentlemen. <laughs> On marathon days, instead of training to run in the marathon, which would have been healthier, I decided that I was going to marathon ride a pilot every marathon day. Oh, my God. So I would sit down and I wouldn't let myself get up to go to the bathroom or to drink or anything. I would marathon writing. Wow. And I would have these marathon scripts that were finished. And then I'd give them to my manager, who I was hip pocketed with at the time. Yeah. And some of them worked. You know, wow! And, uh, I love that marathon a script that you should write a book. Well, I wish, but the Kenyan guys told me not to. The uh, <laughs> marathoning a script. You know what happens is you get to a point where you have to pee so bad, but you can't until the script is over. Yeah, you you start the second just putting script, anything on the page. Just go you're like the scene naturally ends. You're f-ing out of it. You're not <laughs> overwriting anything anymore because you're like, I need to get out of this. And what you end up with is. You sit down and like, I started getting notes from my manager at the time being like, I love this. I just wish it was two pages longer. That's note you could possibly get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. And, and it was Less like, more. Mm. once you remove all that stuff, yeah, all you're left with is the good idea. You yeah. know, I also tell you, writers, because this is a note I would ask for is whatever script you write, 
it doesn't matter if the last act is the best thing ever written. People, if people have stopped before, if you've lost somebody before then, it doesn't They'll matter. They'll never get there. Yeah. So the only note I ask for people when I send something out now, if it's brand new, is what page and what line did you wish you could have stopped reading this and why? Mm-hmm. And then if I get that note and I erase that, like that problem, you know, if they're like, I'm confused or, or I didn't think enough was happening here or whatever, I solve that. And then the next note I get is five pages later. And then finally you just hand somebody the thing and they're like, I don't have any notes. I thought it was cool. You know what I mean? Like mm, you don't need great. deeper notes than that. Just, you just need a first audience, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. So when you were doing your marathon pilot adventure and, and, and writing an hour a day, every day coming home, where would you get your ideas? Like where is there kind of a, a way that you found in that repeated sort of uh, practice that you I go, found- okay. I like to start, my template was usually, I like to start with a first scene that's confusing and then you slowly start understanding as it's going. Mm -hmm. So I would purpose, and it's probably a symptom of starting, of writing something every day and needing something new. So like, like I would just start writing a scene where there was some sort of conflict or interesting thing happening. Mm -hmm. And then the next scene, I wouldn't know what it was because I wasn't doing a marathon outlining, you know, I was doing a marathon because like, I was never going to get a job with best outline. I found like I was the way I write is like, we can make this smart later. Let's make it awesome now, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, a little different when you actually have a show sold. But so for instance, like I remember sitting down and I've never come up with a thing that this is, but it's you're in the woods and a car comes screeching up and a mom and two kids come running into the woods, start digging a hole really quick, put car keys in it, cover up the hole, and then go running back to the street. And then a guy on a bike comes up, huffing and puffing, jumps off the bike and goes, where are the keys? And they go, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And that's the opening, then the opening credits start. You know what I mean? And I was like, I don't know what the f- that means, but I, I'm in for you're, the next You're scene. watching that scene. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was one way of doing it was, you know, and then other times I would have ideas, like I had written a, like, like I love, um 90s sci-fi writers and the whole like world of like you know oh somebody somebody wrote this but then eventually got old and passed away and then this guy's writing sequels now and do we like the new ones or not like all of that stuff and yeah i'd been reading game of thrones at the time and i wrote a script about uh, uh george r. r martin's family keeping him alive in a sitcom format so he can finish the last book <laughs> and it was you know it was like home improvement but instead of Tim Allen building a car, it was, you know, George R. R. Martin trying to go out and have fun, but his family like demanding he be healthy and like yeah. work out. Yeah. You know? So he can make so, it like, to the end. <laughs> and the nice thing about doing a new thing every day is nothing has to be good. It just right. has to be done. You yeah. know? Yeah. And then your definition of what's good doesn't matter anymore because we're all wrong and it changes every day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to put things more into context, how many years mm-hmm. difference between you and your younger, younger sister are there? Three. Yeah. Three years. Okay. I was born in 81. Okay. Yeah. What year is your graduating high school year? You graduated 2000. In, in 2000. Okay. So your sister's 84. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So, all right. 81, 84. You, you are year of the rooster. Your sister is year of the rat actually. Year. Yes. Oh, I, I knew that. Yeah. And then when you went to, so <laughs> right after you graduated high school, you went right to Kenyon immediately. I did. Correct. I did. Okay. When you yep. graduated Ken- or did you graduate Kenyon? Did you leave? I did graduate. Okay. I graduated. And then I went back to Chicago for a year and second city happened then second city. And I wasn't on stage. I was just in the theater. I was like, 
setting up seats, cleaning up, drinking and getting high with the cast. Like <laughs> I was just a part of the crew. No workshops or anything with those guys at all. Okay. Second City was really competitive. And I thought I was going to be writing action movies. I oh. love, I still didn't know that I was a comedy writer then. You know, got it. Got um, it. Yeah. I suspected it, but like, and I didn't know about, I'd never, the first time I wrote TV was after I'd worked in the industry for four years and read enough TV. There was nothing uh, I, I'd never learned. Before still, that, it was all action features. You were going to be the I was, action. I wanted to do like big, movie. funny action movies and like, you know. Yeah. You, like, like Richard Donner, like, you know, that like kind funny of. funny characters in big situations. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. And yes. like you know, sort of like what we think of as like Marvel characters now, you know what right. I mean? And then like, I interned at Scott Rudin mm -hmm. and I was like, I don't want to make movies. This is crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love those movies. Well, and I was like, wow, this is, I mean, who knew that I was in the most intense because Scott yeah. Rudin is legendarily bonkers. The, the, he's yeah. the biggest hothead in in Hollywood, right? Yes. Is, is Not it... anymore, baby. Yeah. No, yeah. No. Um, <laughs> but then I ended up working in TV yeah. and seeing like showrunners get to make so many decisions and it really comes down to them, whether it's, you know what I mean? Like it's mm -hmm. different movies where, where it, it it's all the director and the producers to some extent. And I lied and said, I went to Northwestern on my resume because they were looking for PAs who went to Northwestern. And I knew I could lie enough about it from being in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> and I got a job um, as a PA on uh, this show on comedy central. I had a blast there and then that got canceled and the business affairs department was also the same one that would do the work for South Park. They needed a PA. Mm. So then I was, I went over and got a job for like two years. Like I was a oh, PA wow. there. Oh, that, wow. was, that was a I, blast. Like I that was like, that was amazing. Made lifelong friends, just wild. Like production is insane I, there. Working there felt like working on a, a boat that was like just moving and couldn't stop. And like, you're like, doing the rigging and just like running yeah. and staying all night. And yeah. it was quite no other production. I actually loved being there, but I'm really glad I got out because you learn how to make that show and no other, Correct. you know, mm -hmm. you know, it really came down to Trey Parker a lot. Like the writer's room would be coming up with stuff. And then suddenly he was like, it would just, they would get it and he would go and write it, you know? And I've never uh. been, I've never seen a place do it like that where the showrunner and show creator has technically written every episode of the show right instead of like doing you know like when when we launch somebody to draft like we'll have gone through and like gone through the outline a hundred times and then like have the master million questions and like send a sending a writer out to write an episode to me is armoring them with answers to everything uh -huh. so that then they can write their version of it the best knowing that they don't have to figure it all out like right. instead they just get to how express it and write the dialogue in a way that like pops the most instead of always being like, Oh, wait, what detail is going to be this? Like yeah. nobody gets into it. Cause, and, and if they want to, if they're inspired, they can change stuff. But like, you know, you always want somebody to go off and feel like their job is to do the best version of something that has been figured out. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then it comes in and if it has to change or whatever, like then I can do a pass on it and we can, we can shore it up and make it sound like all these different person, people working on stuff, I can make it sound like the show at the very end, you know? Yeah. But it's wild. They skip that step and it goes right to Trey doing it. Trey and Matt d didn't have the word delegation in their dictionary. Like they just, just did okay. it on their own. Yeah, yeah. but insane. you but you bring up, a, a, I think, an important creative point for talking to a writer on this podcast. And that is the, the 
idea of a voice of a show. Shows have a voice. Like the creator of a show has a voice and the writing staff will try to imitate that voice. They'll try to, good one. you know, yeah, yeah. A good, you know, they'll, they'll try, but how successful do you think that that is in your opinion? Like for a, a beginning writer, a yeah. me- medium experience and lots of experience, do they find capturing that voice better than others or how, how does that work for you? It's the ultimate question. It depends on the show. It depends on the team. It depends mm-hmm. on the experience somebody has like, you know, for me, I really lucked out. So like, I really lucked out going into Rick and Morty because of the, in at the very beginning of Rick and Morty, they made the pilot and they got a pickup and they needed to write two additional scripts. So they had, you know, they had known me from being an assistant at 20th in animation. And so they were like, Hey, we need a writer's assistant. It's the two show creators and one writer and you, and we're going to figure wow. out two episodes. So it was us for like three months and like Harmon had been like kind of on hiatus from community. And this was like a silly thing he was doing on the side. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you guys can clearly tell, like I love sci-fi and I love comedy and Rick and Morty just spoke to me in a way that a show hadn't since Futurama. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was so up my alley mm-hmm. and I went into it just happy to be a part of it at all. Like being in part of the writing process at all as an assistant was going from being the assistant to an executive versus the assistant to a writer is so different. Yeah, And I was just so excited to be there. And like very occasionally, if if they were really up against the wall on something, pitching an idea that like, that ungummed it and they could keep going. Like never taking mm-hmm. over, but just trying to be, trying to assist in a way, even creatively, very, very occasionally, but not, not trying to step on anything. And that show just happened to be a really good fit for me. And Harmon is one of those writers who really wants to help other writers, you know? Mm-hmm. And so by the end of the first season, he gave me a script to write. And then wow. he liked that script enough because I had mashed his voice enough from having worked with him for so long. Mm-hmm. And because I'm just, I love sci-fi comedy that I got up to writer, full writer the next season. Mm. And I got to hire the writer's assistant. The season after that, I became a producer and hired the writer's assistant I hired to be a writer. Then I became showrunner. So now we're like, we went from writer's assistant to showrunner in four years. Wow. Then I sold Lower Decks and Solar Opposites. Yeah. And I got to do that. And the guys I hired to be writer's assistants are now producers, executive producers on the show. So like- Oh my God. (laughs) It's it's rare to do that, but I wouldn't have been able to do that on King of the Hill. Yeah, because you, you knew the voice. You knew the voice of that show. And that is such a key- the other thing I noticed in in what you were describing the story you told was when you were the writer's assistant and they were stuck that you would very carefully and very politely or politically know when to speak and when to shut up. Yeah. Because that is also a part of the creative process in a writer's room is there is a bit of a a pecking order, I hate to say it. Starts mm-hmm. with the guy the, the the person with the voice of the show, the creator of the show and kind of works its way down. And so knowing when, how to read a room, literally read the room and know when to speak, when to not. Yeah. That's important skills. And you seem to naturally have it, whether you got it through your internships or whatever. You learn it too. Like, like being Mm -hmm. an assistant to an executive is brutal, you know? And so Mm -hmm. like, I so appreciated being there. I was just, I, I wasn't coming in with ego. I was just like, God, I just, 
I just really love this show. And I think that for me, part of the trick of it is, and I tell people, you don't want to be a showrunner. You just don't. Like, mm. a showrunner is like, you're pitching a funny idea to a showrunner, and they're thinking, how are the actors going to perform this? What will the producers say about this? Are the artists going to be able to draw this? What will promo say about this next year? <laughs> Did we do anything like this before? Is this stepping on something I want to do later? Did any of the, of the 800 episodes of Star Trek do this? And then <laughs> is it something that I like that feels like the show? Oh and my gosh. if you're a showrunner, you're thinking about like budget and you're thinking about the poster and you're thinking about the animatic editor and like all of that. But if you're the, if you're just a, a mid-level writer, you're just, and you're just having fun with ideas. Yes. All yes, you have to do is be That's like, the best job. The best job. Get paid <laughs> to be funny and have fun and to come up with character stuff. And nobody gets into writing because you want to like, you want to be sitting and giving approvals on the Funko Pops. Like it's fun for a while, but it's also like every hour of the day gets filled. I've, I've made this, this joke in my, in my working life where I, when I talk to my wife, I'm just like, well, you know, today was the longest day of my life. And I say that every single day. <laughs> yeah. I'm not complaining. Like, like I learned at Kenyon, I love doing all that and it's really fulfilling and I didn't know I could do that until I just started doing it and uh, it could all go away. Like I really appreciate getting to do it, you know? Good for you. Most definitely. Good for you. I think we could probably talk to you for another four or five hours, but we need to wrap Uh, this up. Because I talk to him. Because we we (laughs) love. So uh, we just want to say thank you to Mike McMahon for joining us for this episode of the Delta Flyers. And I feel like you can, you can go onto your own Wikipedia page and remove the thumb face po- photo that you don't I like. That. They won't do put, it. They love that. Seriously? Photo. Wow. I would literally be happier with a photo of like flounder the fish or something on there. <laughs> Anything would be an upgrade okay. in the one okay. in the one they chose. <laughs> um, and once again, thank you, Mike, for being with us. And for all the Patreon patrons out there, please stay tuned for your bonus material. Mike will be with us to answer a few more questions. All right. Thanks, everyone. And thank you, Mike. For-